0: You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed.
1: The NCAA women's basketball had an incredibly successful season. And now your favorite players from the 2023 to 2024 NCAA season will be in the WNBA. To all our veteran fans, welcome back. And to all the new fans joining, welcome to the W. This season, watch as proven legends Brianna Stewart, Asia Wilson, and Sabrina Ionescu continue their dominance while rookies Caitlin Clark, Cameron Brink, and Angel Reese prove themselves on a WNBA court. The WNBA is redefining basketball on their own terms this season, keeping the game and players front and center while celebrating the intersection of identities and perspectives that align with fans. Welcome to the W. You're in for some world-class basketball. It's three o'clock somewhere. So feel good while curbing your afternoon cravings or the midnight munchies. Yeah, you know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you.
2: happy Mother's Day. I'm Jane Pauley, and this is Sunday Morning. For most of us, today is a day for celebrating our mothers, with a visit or a phone call if we're lucky enough to have them still with us, or if they're gone, by remembering all the happy times that we shared in life. For one American family, however, today is yet another day of living with the aftermath of an unimaginable calamity. David Martin will report our cover story.
3: The last thing I remember before the blast was my mom laughing.
4: That blast was a suitcase bomb which took the life of Gail Martinez, wife of Air Force Colonel Cato Martinez. How close were you to the bomb, do you think? I
5: was probably less than six feet. I heat this up. Their leader fallen, a military family struggles to move forward. I can lead a team of men and women out in combat. Man, i got to tell you, it's so hard to be a father for kids. Ahead on Sunday morning.
2: On a happier note, our Sunday profile is of Goldie Hawn, the actress known far and wide for her laugh. This morning, Lee Cowan will show us how she's sharing the healing power of laughter with the very young. I was pregnant with Kate.
6: Ever since she was young, when people asked what Goldie Hawn wanted to be, she had the same answer.
7: I knew what I wanted to do, but want to be, for me, was happy. Why do you do a happy dance? Because
8: everybody's, everybody's
6: How <laughs> Goldie's golden giggle beauty. turned the celebrity mom into a calming force really for kids. Later, I'm, on I'm, Sunday, I'm Sunday morning. New show on Broadway puts the battle between
2: two of the biggest names in beauty to music. Our Richard Schlesinger has been chatting up its stars.
1: She appropriated half my life.
9: For two women who were so alike, Elizabeth Arden and Helena Rubinstein sure didn't like each other. Now, the feud between the cosmetics queens has come back to life in a Broadway show starring Patti LuPone and Christine Ebersole. Was she mean? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Later on Sunday morning, putting a new face on old rivals.
2: From there, it's on to a music legend. He's Johnny Mathis, a singer with a long list of hits to his credit, and a lot of personal stories to tell. And he'll be telling them to Nancy Giles.
10: When Johnny Mathis became famous, he learned that the world wasn't always so wonderful.
11: Everybody thought I was white. What? Yes, people told me that all the time. They said, we thought you were white. I said, oh, I'm not. (laughs) Surprised? There are more surprises to come this Sunday
2: morning. Anthony Mason shares a photographer's family portrait. Steve Hartman investigates one man's very odd call from mother. Jennifer Mayerly watches scrapbook enthusiasts cut and paste. Faith Saley and Jim Gaffigan will be along with some personal takes on Mother's Day and more.
12: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
2: Dealing with the aftermath of a terrorist attack is something no family should have to endure. On this day, least of all. Our cover story is from David Martin. Good
4: job, good sweets. Cato Martinez and his children on a perfect spring day in the suburbs of San Antonio. Get underneath it. Get underneath it. But this is no field of dreams. This is a family trying to wake from a nightmare.
3: The last thing I remember before the blast was my mom laughing. <laughs>
4: That blast was a suitcase bomb in Brussels Airport last year. Just as the Martinez family was checking in for a trip to Disney World in Florida. Kiani is the family's oldest child.
3: I just saw fire, burned bodies, body parts. And I looked down at my leg and there was white sticking out of it. And I realized after a couple seconds that the person that I heard screaming was myself.
5: How close were you to the bomb, do you think? I was probably less than six feet. Less than six feet? Yes, sir. I don't know how I survived.
4: Air Force Lieutenant Colonel Cato Martinez, a communications officer who worked with Special Operations Forces, was just back from Afghanistan. You were probably closer to the enemy in Brussels airport than you were in Afghanistan.
5: Probably, sir. And I've been to some bad places in Afghanistan. Amid the mayhem, he found his wife, Gail. She was laying on her back. Her leg was blown off and below the knee. I went to her as fast as I could and put a tourniquet on her leg to stop the bleeding, check her vitals, and there was no one there.
3: I saw my dad, and he was cradling Mama. Her eyes were
8: closed,
3: and he was screaming.
4: The other children, age 7, 9, and 12 at the time, were nowhere in sight.
5: I couldn't find my three youngest. So I thought because they were so young and so small, they were vaporized or torn apart.
4: Paramedics carried Kiani outside on a stretcher.
3: And then they brought out my mom. She was smiling, but she wasn't breathing, and I knew she was gone. And then they brought out Daddy to lie down right next to me. And for a while, we just lied there as he held my hand. But then his grip started loosening.
5: I felt the darkness just surrounding me. And I just wanted to give in to it just quietly go go in night and go to sleep. I I just told her before I closed my eyes, I "I love you and just, if you see the kids, take care of them.
3: He said, don't leave me, please don't leave me. And so when the first responders came with some oxygen masks, they tried to put it on me because I was the child. But I started flailing around and screaming at them to put it on daddy to make sure he was alive
5: so your daughter brought you back she did she was the she saved me that day
4: the younger children noelani and kailani were small enough to be shielded from the full fury of the blast by baggage piled around them at the check-in counter 12 year old Kimo was shielded by his father
5: had I not been in front of him in the bags he would have taken a, a face full of shrapnel.
4: Still, chemo was badly burned
5: by the fireball. Third-degree burns in 40% of of his body. Skin and fat burned all the way down to the muscle. We didn't know if he was going to make it or not.
4: Kiani's left leg was so badly injured, doctors thought they would have to take it off below the knee.
3: It was cold. It was blue. There was nothing flowing to it because I had lost so much bone, so much muscle. and So many nerves that they thought that it would be better for me to have it amputated. Mm. But then, as a last-ditch effort, they decided to do an arterial graft from this leg and put it into this leg. So it really was a miracle surgery.
4: Six months later, she performed her own miracle, standing on that leg for a full five seconds. It was her 18th birthday. Less than a month later, she was walking.
5: Man, look at that.
4: Now she's running, although she'll have to wear that uncomfortable brace for the rest of her life. Kiani also came close to losing her right arm to a piece of shrapnel, which left that nasty scar.
3: I don't hide my scars. I've come to the conclusion that while my scars are visible, they don't define me.
4: It's your purple heart.
3: (laughs) Yes,
5: sir. Kato's scars are not as visible. I got two pieces of shrapnel on my spine, and I've still got 15 pieces in my right foot, so every day is painful.
4: Physical pain is the least of it for a veteran of two combat tours. You can't prepare
5: for when they bring that war to your house, and they bring it to your family, and they take away your wife. All my training experience went out the window when I was holding my my wife in in my arms. I failed my children and my wife.
4: That sense of failure almost drove him
5: to suicide. I had that gun in my mouth, and I thought about it. Then I realized that no matter how dark it could be and how lonely I feel about what's going on with me, I knew it was a selfish act. I've got four little kids that rely on me. What are you looking for? I'll heat this up.
4: Now he's Mr. Ma. You're gonna splatter something. Finding out what it takes to raise a family.
5: Okay, is it finished yet? Because I'm hungry between cleaning and cooking and taking the kids to their respective extracurricular activities in school, I broke down and said, look, I gotta hire someone to do this. (laughs) So twice a month I have a a, a cleaning crew come in. You realize what you're telling me? You're going out
4: on deployments with special operations (laughs) and you come, come back and you break down over
5: cleaning? I can lead a team of men and women out in combat. But man, I gotta tell you, it's so hard to be a father for kids.
4: Lieutenant Colonel Martinez is back on active duty. This time a desk job. Turn the glove. Which gives him more time with his kids.
6: Good form, good throw. Chemo has
4: an arm like a cannon, his dad says, but the scar tissue from his burns is so tight that just dropping into a squat is a small victory. And his hand will need more surgery before he can properly grip a bat. You're gonna come all the way back, do you think? I
3: think so, even better.
4: San Antonio is the 10th place the Martinez family has called home as they've moved from post to post around the world. When somebody asks you where's home, what do you tell them?
3: Well, for me, home is mama. She's the constant.
4: Now it's a home filled with pictures of someone no longer there. A wife and mother who was murdered by three terrorists who wheeled suitcase bombs into the Brussels airport.
5: This whole house, there's always a reminder of Christmas.
4: We wish we could tell you the dark days are over, that good has triumphed over evil, but we can't.
3: I still suffer from doubt, from severe depression, from hopelessness, from guilt, regret.
4: Kiani is starting college with wisdom no 18-year-old should have.
3: I have a different mindset now going forward. I'm not afraid to die. I'm more afraid of wasting a day and regretting not doing something important like saying I love you to my family.
4: You know things other people don't know.
3: If I can touch at least one person, even if that's a teenager like me in college to pick up the phone and call their parents and say, Thank you for everything, I love you. <laughs> then I've made a difference. And that's all. That's all that I need.
2: And now a page from our Sunday morning almanac, May 14th, 1850. 167 years ago today, the day Joel Houghton of Ogden, New York, received a patent for what he, oddly enough, dubbed an improvement in machines for washing table furniture, what today we call a dishwasher. His hand-cranked contraption wasn't much of a labor saver. But once dishwashers became electric, well, that all changed.
4: Dishes, dishes, dishes. Three times a day.
2: Why can't something be done to
7: relieve the monotony of this everyday kitchen chore?
2: Dishwasher ads largely targeted hardworking housewives and mothers. Dishwashing being seen as exclusively woman's work. Out Even film time. star Betty Davis did an ad for a GE dishwasher back in 1935. Washes, rinses, and polishes the dishes and silverware. Any dishes at a time. Dishwashing technology has advanced a great deal in the 82 years since. But have the average person's dishwasher operating skills kept pace? And oatmeal. To find out, several years back, our Nancy Giles sought out Carolyn Forte at the Good Housekeeping Research Institute.
12: You want to load all the soiled surfaces in. You never put it in like that.
2: See,
10: I've
13: done that. Right,
12: that's not the right way to do it.
2: Whether it's dishes, glasses, silverware, or pots and pans, properly loading a dishwasher by hand is a job in itself. Perhaps next, they'll come up with a machine to do that.
14: Coming up, this is an early 19th century scrapbook. This fellow
2: was a page out of history. These scrapbooks from a private collection date back to the 1880s. Today, plenty of people still love to cut and paste, moms in particular. Jennifer Mayerly of our CBS station, WCCO in Minneapolis, makes some introductions.
15: We're looking at a little scrapbook that I made when my grandson was first born. A quick look around this house says it all. Family means everything. Family um, supports each other. You know, we always have a, um, a saying at our house that we're all on the same team together. Linda Kleppi and her husband Glenn raised their six kids in Pine City, Minnesota, north of Minneapolis. I don't want them to forget the little details of growing up in a small town, of growing up in a large family. So she makes scrapbooks by the dozens. Did a lot of journaling of the different things we looked for. Books full of memories. That was a fun month. That was <laughs> That she hopes her children, like daughter Katie, will appreciate someday. And from buttons and bows to fancy paper. She gets most of her supplies here. The Pine City scrapbooking store. So, Marnie, it seems like you have something for everyone here in the you STORE. We try. Marnie Stelts is the owner. Cardstock, pattern papers, stickers, everything. <laughs> the store doubles as a retreat. It's a place where women, moms for the most part, can even stay overnight
1: and scrapbook. We're not in a rush to get to work, to get the kids out the door. It's be comfortable all weekend, be creative all weekend. I think he probably made this after
15: he came home. Okay. The you know, inspiration then... for the shop comes from a place close to Marnie's heart. I can't even imagine. He was so young in that picture. A gift from her father before he passed away, his World War II scrapbook. I'm so glad he wrote around
9: all of them so you would know who was who, and that's him there.
15: It's a personal history, a snapshot of time gone by. Part photo album, part journal. Scrapbooks date back to the 1800s. And even Thomas Jefferson kept scrapbooks. Ellen Gruber Garvey is the author of A History of Scrapbooking in America. This is an early 19th century scrapbook. This fellow was. She says it
14: all started with newspaper clippings. The press was full of valuable information that was just disappearing, and it was only through making scrapbooks that you would ever be able to find it again. It
15: was our modern-day Google. Yes, exactly, exactly. One of our most notable scrapbookers? Well, Mark Twain is a real standout because
14: he not only kept scrapbooks, but he invented one.
15: The author and humorist patented a self-pasting scrapbook in the 1870s.
14: That meant that Instead of having to get out the glue pot and maybe heat the glue, animal glue, you could use a Mark Twain scrapbook which had gummed strips
15: on the pages. As scrapbooking grew in popularity.
5: So a lot of his are about historical figures. And a lot it
15: came of to be a true historical resource. Who is Alexander Gumby?
5: Alexander Gumby was born into poverty in the 1880s. Uh, he worked in the lunch room at Columbia. He was a cafeteria worker. <laughs>
15: GUMBY'S COLLECTION OF ALMOST 300 SCRAPBOOKS, WHICH HE DONATED TO NEW YORK'S COLUMBIA UNIVERSITY, DOCUMENTS WHAT IT WAS TO BE AFRICAN-AMERICAN IN THE EARLY 20TH CENTURY.
5: HE CALLED THIS PROJECT THE UNWRITTEN HISTORY.
15: TY Ty JONES Jones IS MANUSCRIPT CURATOR.
5: HE WAS KNOWN AS MR. SCRAPBOOK BY THE 1920s. SO uh, THEY WOULD SAY THAT YOU DIDN'T KNOW HARLEM. YOU HADN'T EXPERIENCED HARLEM UNTIL YOU HAD COME TO HIS STUDIO AND SEEN HIS material.
15: His scrapbooks meticulously depict the lives of notables, like poet Langston Hughes and abolitionist Frederick Douglass.
5: Many of these will be the only remaining document we have or the only remaining copy of a newspaper article. So absolutely, these are used by scholars all the time.
15: As are the scrapbooks of some of the women of those times, who defiantly struggled to make their voices heard. Women's rights activists, they
14: were acting in public. They were speaking in public. They were out there on the platform, and they weren't supposed to be, so they had to keep track of how people paid attention to them. What did people write about them?
15: Of course, in these digital days, it's easy to see scrapbooks as a quaint affectation of a time past, but not to everyone. I would like to pass down a legacy of, you know, here's what our family did, here's here's
14: how we cared about each other, here's how we grew up together. We read over the scrapbook makers' shoulders as we look at their scrapbooks. We understand what mattered to them, why they saved it. We guess at why they saved it. And that, that digging and guessing is such a wonderful and exciting process. It's a gift. It's a gift,
8: yeah. Chances are you think my heart's your valentine...
2: Chances are... We'll catch up with Johnny Mathis next. <laughs>
7: <laughs> and later... <laughs> Literally, I had to pretend I didn't have a thought in my brain for this. <laughs> Goldie Hawn. Seriously.
12: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
11: Look.
8: Me.
2: there's no doubt who's singing this classic misty he's that indisputable legend of popular music Johnny Mathis but if there's no mistaking the voice we're all apparently somewhat mistaken about his name as he tells our Nancy
11: Giles First name, John, J-O-H-N. Do you prefer John or Johnny? John. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Chances are... most personal thing that, we'll that I do is sing because I can't tell a lie. I want them to, to know exactly what I'm feeling. Chances are you think my heart's your time. Chances
10: are, if you're John Mathis... You've been revealing your feelings for a long time. Chances Are was his first number one hit. He's been singing it since he made the recording back in 1957. I cannot tell you how lucky I am. The songs that I sing, I like. It's
11: wonderful, wonderful. Oh,
10: This classic is also 60 years old.
11: It's beginning to look a lot like... Christmas. And
10: being John Mathis means you sing a lot of Christmas songs. I At first, to please your mom. My mom loved my Christmas music, so I did <laughs> an awful did lot to- of it.
11: Well, it goes like this. But Mathis felt it was time to enter this century. I'm happy that I'm finally doing some contemporary music that was written shorter than 50 years ago. Might seem crazy what I'm about to say Now that I'm 81 years old, I can bust loose and have some fun, yeah. Though known for his lush
10: ballads, Mathis does bust loose on his new album. Johnny Mathis sings the great new American songbook. With the
11: air like I don't care, baby, by the way
10: Guided by Kenny Edmonds, the Grammy-winning singer and producer known as Babyface.
11: I believe
16: Johnny has always had one of those voices that you'll never forget.
11: See me running through that open door. I believe I can fly.
4: It's part of our fabric of American history, American music.
11: I believe I can fly.
10: John Mathis was born in Texas, the fourth of seven children. The family moved to San Francisco when he was a small boy. Was there racism, segregation? Was there. Any it of that was operating? Heaven. We knew really? nothing about racism.
11: No. I never ever felt denied in any way. He admired his father, a chef who played piano. He and I bonded because of uh, music. The first time I heard him sing, that's it. That yeah, you and me pop. What do you sing in the shower?
8: Read!
10: His father sent him to a voice teacher whose lessons obviously included classical training. Mathis also excelled at basketball, hurdling, and the high jump. I had a bad back, and every time I jumped, I felt it. So instead of pursuing a place at the Olympics... Mathis was invited to New York in 1956 to make his first records.
11: It's not for me
10: to say... His greatest hits album from 1958 was on the Billboard charts for, get this, nearly 10 years. It was only when Mathis achieved fame that he discovered the world was not like
11: his idyllic San Francisco childhood. When I went to Vegas, I had to stay over there, and... I... Well, <laughs> oh, you got this big hotel. Why can't I stay there? Oh, no, you have to stay over the, the railroad tracks over in the colored section. Did it make you angry? No, I, I, I laughed at it. I said, don't be so stupid. What am I going to do? I'm not going to, you know, marry your daughter. You know, come on. And it's very funny because everybody thought I was white. What? Yes, people told me that all the time. They said, we thought you were white. I said, oh, I'm not. <laughs> But your picture was on your albums. Yeah. Yeah. There was a time when I was in the South. Someone came to me before the show and said, there's been a threat on your life. I was singing, chances are... And I kept moving so that they wouldn't have a a shot at me. It was a few years before I I felt comfortable going back to, uh, you know, Atlanta. Once I had a secret love... In 1982...
10: Mathis told Us Weekly something personal he has rarely discussed since. He said, homosexuality is a way of life that I've grown accustomed to. You got death threats once that happened as well, when you
11: spoke about your private life. And that was a revelation for me. I come from San Francisco. It's, uh, it's not unusual no. to be gay in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. I've had some, uh, some girlfriends and some boyfriends, mm-hmm. just like most people. But I never got married, uh, for instance. I knew that I was gay. I didn't say, wanna do anything about that. Right. My dad had a wonderful, wonderful way about uh, accepting things as they are, as opposed to the way we wish oh, they would be. He said, son, there are a lot of people that ain't gonna like you out there, you know?
10: <laughs> Well, that's an amazing thing that, that, that he was so loving and so accepting. He was my
11: pal. I could tell him anything, and I did. Former First Lady Nancy Reagan was also a pal.
14: Hello, Johnny. Hi.
11: It's Nancy. Nancy? Nancy who? (laughs) I recognize that voice. She invited me to sing at the White House on several occasions. Many men with a lofty aim.
10: Mathis says Mrs. Reagan saved his life.
11: She saw you performing and was a little concerned about you. We were sitting around, you know, I was drinking. And uh, she suggested that I might have a problem. I said, probably not, but what do you got in mind? And so she uh, sent me to a place called Hob de Grasse in Maryland. I was there with a bunch of Jesuit priests. I had three weeks of uh, finding out why I drank, how I could stop. It was the greatest thing that ever happened to me in my life. In November 2015, his Hollywood Hills home of 56 years
10: was severely damaged in a fire.
11: I'm okay, nobody got hurt.
10: I get misty. By now, you've probably noticed that when times turn tough, oh, what a terrible putt. Mathis remains determined, even upbeat. Better? If your house is being repaired, just have crew and correspondent catch up with you at the golf course. Bend my knees? Yeah. Although I discovered his favorite sport. Doesn't really calm him. Thank you, God. Because <laughs> Does this relax you?
11: <laughs> no. What do you mean, no? Well, it's very stressful. <laughs> you gotta get the ball in the hole all the time. It's very stressful. Yeah, very stressful. We need but to. But quince- we love it. While golf
10: might be stressful, singing for millions of people makes John Mathis happy. Nicely
16: done.
2: Coming up, Jim Gaffigan.
16: I'm extra grateful this Mother's Day.
2: Counting his blessings. Mother's Day is a day for giving thanks, says our Jim Gaffigan, this year in particular.
16: I'm extra grateful this Mother's Day. You see, three weeks ago, it was discovered my wife and mother of my five children had a brain tumor. It's gone. By the miracle and blessing of a fantastic surgeon, Dr. Joshua Betterson, it was all removed and my wife is now home recovering. The brain tumor is gone, along with my ability to ever win another argument. It's not like I won a lot of arguments with my wife, but now I'm pretty much retired from spousal disagreements. My wife isn't the type to bring up the tumor, Well, actually, once she did. She said, I had a brain tumor, but I couldn't say anything. I couldn't be like, yeah, but that was like a week ago. The surgeon told me the tumor was the size of a pear, which was scary and kind of confusing. I don't know why tumors are always compared to fruit. What's the logic? Well, if you're going to compare a tumor, it should be something edible. A pear? Are surgeons looking at tumors while painting a still life of a bowl of fruit? It seems weird. Why fruit? Initially, I thought it was because surgeons are really bad at analogies. But then I realized, surgeons are just dumbing it down for idiots like me. They're probably thinking, well, this moron won't understand centimeters, let alone circumference. I don't want to ruin sports for the poor guy. He certainly doesn't eat fruit, but he's probably seen a pear. You know, when he was in the grocery store buying carbs. Larger tumors are often compared to grapefruit. I wonder how grapefruit feel about that. I was already one of the least popular fruit. Now I have to be compared to the worst kind of tumor. It ain't easy to be a grapefruit. So this Mother's Day, give your mom or wife extra love, but probably don't give her fruit.
2: Ahead. She
3: appropriated half my line. I'm
1: the scientist behind her design.
2: The best of enemies. A new musical on Broadway brings to life a historic rivalry that was anything but pretty. With Richard Schlesinger, we take a look.
1: She appropriated half my line. I’m the scientist behind her design.
9: The Broadway Show tells the story of an unlikely fight between two successful women in an unlikely time for women to be so successful. In the early 1900s, before women could even vote, the flames of the feud between cosmetic queens Helena Rubinstein and Elizabeth Arden had already been ignited.
7: They did really
13: some vicious things.
9: There was no question. Lindy Woodhead wrote the book War Paint about the ugly fight over the business of beauty.
8: She's coming, she's coming, she's coming.
9: In the new musical, Christine Ebersall plays Elizabeth Arden. She, she.
13: She was very driven and very committed,
14: and nothing deterred her.
9: Was she mean? Yeah.
14: <laughs> but she could, of course, put on the charm.
1: It's so wonderful to be back in Manhattan.
9: And Patti Lapone plays Helena Rubinstein. What's your read on your
8: character?
7: I think their similarity is was so interesting because they were enemies, but ambitious, ruthless, creative, uh, and I also think very lonely.
1: My son’s don't so call, My
10: husband cheats. Now they
9: can pay their I. The real story of Arden and Rubinstein is dramatic enough even without the music and the costumes. They might well have been friends, but in the case of these two powerful, wealthy women, similarity bred contempt. They were enormously talented. They respected beauty.
10: They were tyrannical.
9: And they both came from very little and made very, very much. Elizabeth Arden was born Florence Nightingale Graham outside of Toronto in 1878, or 1884. The records conflict.
2: I have been included in the newsreel.
9: Her father was a peddler. In the show, as in reality, her arch-rival Rubenstein knew that.
5: Pedigree? <laughs> what?
10: She stepped off the pilgrim boat in her Chanel pumps? I know the truth. She's
1: Canadian.
9: <laughs> Helena Rubinstein was born Haya Rubinstein in 1872 in Krakow, Poland.
1: Every woman,
7: no matter what her age.
9: Her father sold kerosene and, in the show, as in reality, Arden knew that
2: royalty <laughs> hire rubenstein her father
7: pulled an egg cart through the slums, the slums of krakow, of krakow.
13: he Put... couldn't even afford the donkey you know, so
7: and i think they're speaking that's, that's the...
13: very mean
9: <laughs>
7: but they're also speaking the truth
9: and the truth hurt as the money piled up so did the resentment the fact they opened salons around the corner from one another doug wright wrote the script for the show The fact that Elizabeth stole Helena's favorite marketing director away, and then Helena retaliated by stealing Elizabeth Arden's husband and bringing him to her company. And uh, similarly... (laughs) That's a feud. Yeah, that was a feud. There's no record that they ever met. Never spoke to each other, never
0: referred to one another by name.
17: Why, it's wicked. Your new salon right down the street from Elizabeth... We don't
11: speak that name. That name is verboten.
0: Rubenstein
9: called Arden the other one in her Polish accent, and Arden called Rubenstein that dreadful woman.
2: No, not that dreadful
8: woman.
9: But in the midst of all the no-name calling and all the fighting, they created an industry by making makeup respectable. When they started, the only women using cosmetics were hookers and showgirls. Today, it is a multi-billion dollar business, after Rubinstein and Arden laid the foundation for cosmetics departments in stores like Bergdorf Goodman. So they not only invented the product, they invented how it was sold. That branding, the customer service. This stuff n- never existed? It never
0: existed. If
9: I the fight that propelled these two women had largely been forgotten, until now. Perhaps argues the show because they were women. The two stars sing a duet called If I'd been a man.
8: Would I win if I had been a man?
9: It's just, you know, it was one of the great feuds in American business. It was Macy's and Gimbals and
7: But those were men too. And I wonder whether we were a feud or simply a cat fight, whether they diminished the importance of this particular feud because they were women.
9: In the end, there was no real winner of this feud, but no real loser either.
10: The reality is that they needed each other. They fed off each other.
18: It was very sparky.
7: And it was great for business.
9: Helena Rubinstein and Elizabeth Arden died within 18 months of each other.
7: Just
3: a farm girl in Ontario
7: Could anyone have known how far I'd climb Became a name the world could not ignore
9: And it would probably pain them both to know they are being remembered together as two women who produced all that makeup but never made up.
2: next
18: oh there she is right that's weird
2: sign from above
12: welcome to play it a new podcast network featuring radio and tv personalities talking business sports tech entertainment and more play it at play.it
2: when it's your mother calling just about any dutiful son pays attention an old colleague of steve Hartman certainly did
18: to tell the most unusual story of my career, I had to go back. How are you? Good, how you doing? To the beginning of it. Good to see you, man. 33 a years. Long time. My first job in news was with Brad Brown. You're all grown up. WTOL-TV. It was at the CBS affiliate in Toledo, Ohio. Brad was the serious investigative reporter who once worked for the Washington Post. It's these so-called victims. And I was his wayward, feature-loving intern. Give me a kiss. Point is, Brad comes to me with a lot of credibility, which is the only reason I even heard him out when he called me up with this unbelievable tale.
16: If God wanted to give a sign, what better way to do it than through the instrument that dominates people's lives today? The iPhone. Right, the smartphone. Brad's
18: odyssey with his iPhone began after his mom died in February. Janet Brown. At one point, one of the highest ranking women at the Pentagon was buried just last week at Arlington. Brad says he was making these arrangements when, three days after she died, he hit the mail icon on his phone, and for the first time in his life, his mail didn't come up.
16: And it wasn't just a blank screen like the phone had gone dead, there was an image there. He took this screenshot and recognized it immediately
18: as a cloudy version of a different picture on his phone, of his mom. The phone started working normally again a few hours later, but the image still appears today in the background of some emails. Oh, there she is, right? That's weird. We talked to several phone experts. Some were able to recreate this effect, Brad, but none could explain how it just randomly appeared in the first place.
16: This is what I got.
0: Have you seen this before? I haven't seen this at all. That's like a lovely thing. So you wouldn't fix it? I wouldn't fix it.
18: (laughs) The whole experience has left this retired investigative reporter with the biggest mystery of his life.
16: And sometimes now, as I think about, is there a technical explanation? One side of the ledger of reality, I look at the other side of the ledger of reality. Is this the blessing that God is giving to me? On this Mother's Day, lots
18: of people will be missing their moms. When all of a sudden, maybe a rainbow will appear. Or a bluebird will land on the windowsill. Mere coincidence to many. But Brad Brown says, until proven otherwise, it's okay to believe. It's your mother calling.
7: Okay, why do you do a brain
2: break?
8: Because every brain needs a break.
2: Just ahead, back to school. With Goldie Hawn.
7: Why do you do a happy dance? Because they're, they're not mine.
4: Oh, honey, I was sure you'd remember them.
15: Well, I think I'd remember if I had three children. Four, oh. honey. Don't forget little Joe. It's Sunday morning on CBS, and here
2: again oh, is Jane Pauley. Goldie Hawn has charmed a generation or two in movies like Overboard in 1987 with Kurt Russell. Now, she's focusing her talents on her youngest audience yet. Lee Cowan has our Sunday profile. Inhale. And if you really focus,
15: you can calm your brain.
6: Kindergarten is usually more about chaos than calm. Time. Which is what makes this classroom so surprising. Time. Ask them to breathe in. Breathe in. And ask them to breathe
8: out. Breathe, breathe
15: out.
6: out. But perhaps more surprising may be the mom behind it. You want to feel like you've come to school
7: and you know how to refresh yourself so you can learn, be happier, and, you know, be more
6: productive. Actress Goldie Hahn, who built a career playing the ditzy blonde, is now all about kids brains. We know how we're
7: going to be able to change the way we're thinking just by thinking.
6: Hahn calls her program Mind Up, and it's catching on. How many kids do you think are in the program around the world now? There's probably
7: close to 2 million doing it now. 2 million. Yeah. And now we're in nine different countries. We have 30 schools in Serbia. We have the UK, Canada, Hong Kong. Okay, why do you do a brain break? Because
8: every brain needs a brain.
6: Han spent years (laughs) working with neuroscientists and psychologists to create a 15 lesson plan to help kids like nine-year-old Esme Malakum be more mindful to help calm the stressors of modern day youth.
3: I remember my dad said, be happy right now. Because when you're older, you're going to have problems.
7: Does life get a little harder? Yeah. But you get through it. And I really love meeting all of you, so I'm, I'm, I'm one happy camper today. I think it comes from deep inside of me. It has nothing to do with what I do and making people laugh or be an actress. but it has a lot to do with who I am, and
6: it matters to me. It matters because Han herself needed help battling depression and anxiety at a time most of us knew her only as the woman with the golden giggle. We first met her on Rowan and Martin's laugh back in 1968, a role that came almost by accident.
10: And now for you legions of futuristic fans, it's
6: she actually flubbed her audition, but that's what got her the job. And I missed
7: a word, and then I went, Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, could we go back? Because I missed a word and I started laughing because I was so stupid
6: <laughs> to me. But that so giggle I, is what everybody came well, to Well, that's what up.
7: happened, you know. Literally, I had to pretend I didn't have a thought in my brain for this.
6: <laughs> she was so good at being alluringly clueless, she even won an Oscar for it, playing opposite Walter Matthau in Cactus Flower. Do you always stand up there like that?
7: Nobody around here looks. Most of our customers are classical.
6: You're 22 and you get an Oscar.
7: It's kind of crazy. I mean, I think it was just somewhere where the stars are aligned.
6: How did that fit in your head, though? It didn't fit. Despite the smiles, Hawn felt out of place. As a young girl growing up in a Maryland suburb of Washington, D.C., her first love wasn't acting. It was dancing. She'd been at it since she was three. I had
7: a life plan. Met get married and have a nice house and open a dancing school and teach children.
6: You never wanted to be an actress. That wasn't I didn't what you want going. to be a star.
7: I thought stars were totally messed up.
6: And in her case, she was right. Stardom did mess her up.
7: I was turned upside down about my own reality. I was had anxiety.
6: Um, I didn't want to go anywhere. I, I lost my smile, Lee. She went to therapy, stayed in it for nine years, in fact, and eventually got her smile back by listening to what her brain was telling her.
7: Comedy is music. I hear music. I can hear when something's not right.
8: <laughs> I know.
7: The sun is very dangerous. Mom, it feels like you're putting on no, lot. on. No,
6: just here, when you need it here she still hears that music. In fact, it's what brought her back to the big screen for the first time in 15 years with co-star Amy Schumer in Snatched.
7: We both talk about comedy as if it's a mathematical equation. So when you talk about what's that, what about that? Yeah, that's funny.
8: What's your pen number?
12: One,
5: two, three, four. Oh, God. I was going to change
6: it. Han plays the older half of a dysfunctional family dude, kidnapped while on vacation in South America. It's full of the kind of hijinks that defined her early career, but Han says that is not what drew her to the role.
1: I should have just listened to you.
15: I love you. This is great, but we really got to get out of
6: here, you know? Yeah, we just
1: get
7: out of here. Okay. It's about a mother and a daughter, and that's a very complex relationship. So I love it when it's grounded in something really true. It's not just fluff for fluff's sake. What is this, Hell
6: Week? No, Benjamin, this is the army. It was Private Benjamin that proved Han was not only a bankable star, but a darn good executive producer, too. She shopped the script herself to the major studios, insisting it was more than just a comedy. It's a really funny
7: movie, but it had social relevance for its time you just sign right here on the dotted line. You're as good as home, young lady. No, thanks. I think I'll stay. There was a strength in this character.
1: Okay, Elise, the time has come. Spill those lips. What's in them? Are they wax?
6: And when she began to age in her career, she did it again.
7: I have not had plastic surgery. Well, good for you.
6: Finding the funny in the true.
7: At least you're lying through your caps.
6: But her greatest blending of fact and fiction was finding her co-star for life. Did we just get married? (laughs) She and Kurt Russell have been together now for nearly 35 years. They've never married, but earlier this month, they did get side-by-side stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. To be honest with you, I thought that Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell should go down together. And we've been up together, we'll go down together. (laughs) Theirs is a blended family. Including actress Kate Hudson, there are four kids between them. The anchors in a relationship that has survived the challenges of celebrity. My family
7: is the most important thing to me. Kurt's family is the most important thing to him. And there's a lot of pretty girls that come along. and want to throw themselves at him. And I've had my share. But at the same time, do you really want to disrupt your life, your children, your world, for that? So it kind of starts with you.
6: Which in some ways is the message Goldie Hahn is trying to get across to those kids. An optimistic outlook begins with how you think.
7: You lose hope, you lose everything. And you lose your tickle and your joy, you lose everything. <laughs>
6: For someone who, early on, was experiencing depression and anxiety and all those things you were going through, and you seem especially grounded, you seem to have figured it all out.
7: <laughs> I'm still learning.
6: <laughs> you think? Yeah. Because this interview seems more like a counseling session than an interview. <laughs>
7: <laughs> well, I mean, I've learned I, a
6: lot. I feel I mean, like I should pay you.
7: For no, this. I mean, the whole idea of life to me is growth. I mean, you stop growing, you stop asking questions, you lose your curiosity. That's not a life you want to live.
2: Anthony Mason now with a family portrait that mixes the good times
13: and bad times with a whole lot of love. I mean, our whole family, my mom, my dad. My
17: cousin. In the old scrapbooks, you see a striking resemblance between Laurel Borowick and her youngest daughter, Nancy. Tell me about your mom.
13: Oh, Laurel. (laughs) My my father called her Law. He had that like thick Queens accent. She was amazing. She was the most thoughtful, selfless person on this earth. I really won the lottery as far as moms go.
17: Your parents met in law school?
13: They were in the law school musical. (laughs) Who knew that law schools had musicals? They went to St. John's in Queens. My mother sang my father dance.
17: Howie Borowick, a successful attorney, believed in living life to its fullest. As a wedding present, he stitched this needlepoint for his bride.
13: You know, my mom with her big hat and my dad with his 1970s mustache.
17: <laughs> that needlepoint is the cover of Nancy Borowick's new book, The Family Imprint, a love letter to her mother and father that Nancy, a photographer whose work has appeared in the New York Times and the Washington Post, never planned on writing until both her parents, almost simultaneously, were diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. How do you begin to deal with that?
13: Well, for me, it was photographing them. I think I was so terrified of what the reality was that it was easier for me to focus on the photographs. It was my parents. It was our family kind of falling apart. And as a 28-year-old, I, you know, I, I didn't expect that.
17: What began as a way to be closer to her parents and cope with their illness grew into something bigger. For two years, as Howie and Laurel Borowick fought the disease side by side, Nancy documented their life. There's some photographs in here that can't have been easy for you to take
13: it's strange I didn't realize how much I was leaning on my camera for support I didn't realize it until you know a moment when I put my camera down and I watched a nurse struggle to find a vein in my father's arm and then I fainted
17: but Howie and Lauren kept each other's spirits up and their children's and in the middle of all this you were getting married Ah, yes (laughs) When Nancy wed Kyle Grimm in 2013, the Borowicks skipped chemo treatments to have the strength for their daughter's wedding.
13: And they were there. They walked me down the aisle.
17: Two months later, Howie Borowick died. He was 58.
13: My mother died 364 days later um, after my father.
17: Laurel Borowick was 59.
13: There we were back in the temple, It was like deja vu.
17: When you looked at all the pictures you'd taken, what did you see?
13: I saw love and life. I just remember how much love and support and courage and strength they showed.
17: As Nancy and her siblings cleaned out the family home, they found old photos and notes their mother made on parenting advice. And to do lists, work on bills, decide on radiation, join gym, and start going.
13: I see myself in them, and I see them in me, which is probably the most special, you know, artifact that I get to keep.
17: So going to the end took you back to the beginning.
13: That's a good way to say it. The cancer was just a piece of the story.
17: Nancy Borowick's award winning photos.
13: sort of that like family wall
17: we'll go on exhibit in new york this week that's the hat she wore as her book which she shared with her 90 year old grandmother marion is published there's so much life in this book
13: yeah i'm grateful for each day my father loved the sunset he told us to look for him in the sunset my mom said talk to me in the stars
17: It's one of the last photographs in the family imprint.
13: I took that on her birthday.
17: On a post-it, Laurel Borowick left this note for her children.
13: For my three angels, if you want to talk or feel my love, look up in the night sky. I'm always watching over you.
2: All of us observe Mother's Day in our own personal way. And that definitely applies to Faith saley.
12: <laughs> mother's Day is a bittersweet day for many of us. We all have mothers, but some of us have lost them. When my mother died in my 20s, an older friend told me that my relationship with her would continue to grow, that as I aged, I would learn new things about her. This seemed unthinkable at the time it has turned out to be true. While nothing has ever replaced my mom's love, loving my own children has brought me closer to my mother than I could have ever imagined when I lost her 20 years ago. Here's what I've learned by becoming a motherless mother.
5: What's so funny?
12: How much she loved me, I knew she did, but now I understand the depths of her love, the insane amounts of patience, sacrifice, and humor it must have taken to raise me, or for any mother to raise any little human. How exhausted she was. I now understand why we ate dinner at 5.30 p.m. and why she was in bed by eight. Why she went to church every weekday morning before we woke up. It's the same reason I go for a run at 6 a.m to have time to collect my thoughts and say thanks for the day before I get hit with equal amounts of kisses and toddler
8: mucus.
12: (laughs) Why she cried when she was happy. This is a mystery solved as soon as you receive your first love note from your four-year-old. Why she was so grateful. I remember my mom sitting at our kitchen table paying bills with a small smile. She'd sigh and say, I'm so blessed to be able to pay these. She knew it was about what you have. Oh, my goodness! I tell my kids all the time that I'm so lucky they chose me to be their mom. I'm as grateful as she was, but I'll never be as graceful as my mom. As my dad said in his eulogy for her, and you may say the same about your mom, we can't be as good as Gail, but we can all try to be good like her. My mother is still revealing herself to me every day as I approach the age at which she left us. I hope you feel closer to your mom today too, wherever she is.
2: Now, a Mother's Day look at maternity leave by the numbers. As of last year, the United States was the only one of 41 advanced nations to offer zero weeks of guaranteed paid maternity leave. The Family and Medical Leave Act of 1993 does offer some employees the option of taking up to 12 weeks off, but it's unpaid leave. In 2015, the last year we've got statistics for, fewer than 10 percent of new mothers in our country took any maternity leave. The more educated a woman is, the more likely she is to have the option of leave. And one last figure worth considering. In 2015, fewer than half of all women on maternity leave were paid by their employers. But 70% of men on paternity leave continued to get their salaries. And with that, happy Mother's Day. One more very small matter, and just in time for Mother's Day. Our congratulations to Sunday Morning producer Sari Aviv and her husband Chris on the birth of their daughter, Colby Ava Strothman, on May 10th. And next week, here on Sunday Morning. From Amsterdam, the design issue. I'm Jane Pauley. Please join us here again next Sunday morning.
0: If you like CBS Sunday Morning with Jane Pauley, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey.